kids, our story starts in 2013. It was Christmas break of my senior year of high school, and I was trying to find a show to watch. People then recommended me this How I Met Your Mother. So I bit the bullet and I watched it. Long story short, I became obsessed. Cut to summer 2019. The co-creator and I connected on Twitter. And that kid is how I met Craig Thomas. This is the DJ Bob Show. The DJ Bob Show. I'm really honored to have this next guest on our show. He's a fan of the show. Mr. Craig Thomas, co-creator of How I Met Your Mother. How are you, dude? Uh, I am great. Thank you for having me on your show. I am honored. Happy to be here. Well, that's great. So what I found interesting, first off, is that you did your homework and you were a fan of the stuff that we did which was really cool I yeah I, th- I think the show's great and I really enjoyed it and I I, I liked your interviews because I, I feel like I learned stuff about some people that, that I didn't know about and uh, you know I, I, I like the deep dive kind of format you do with people which is cool um, it's, yeah I, I like it I'm a, I'm a fan so thank you for having me on the more generic you make it you've heard everything so I try to just <laughs> make it more in-depth in and stuff like that. So we like talking here about influences. Who were your influences growing up in your comedy writing? Yeah, I mean, for me, I was, I was a kid in the 80s. Uh, which is getting troublingly long ago. <laughs> uh, I, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, kind of, uh, I, you know, I turned five, I think, in 1980, basically. And, and so, like, I was in the sweet spot for sitcoms. I mean, yeah, I, I really, I got to, I got to be there uh, in the front row of some great sitcoms. And probably my favorite was Cheers. I think I've talked about this a couple times in, in interviews before, but, like, it's if you watch the show Cheers and then you look at McLaren's bar on How I Met Your Mother, like it's pretty obvious that we were. I don't know if you call it an homage or if or if it's copyright theft or <laughs> I don't know somewhere in between. But we, well, you know, going going back to that, you kind of even spoofed the Cheers theme. We song. did, we did. We were we're such super fans that we ended up doing. Yeah, I I, I literally wrote a Cheers theme song, and 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 the the composer, the one of the composers of, of How Much Mother, who sort of puts the songs together. Carter and I w- would we are frustrated musicians deep down. We 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 started working together. My writing partner Carter and I in college playing in bands. So we try, we wrote songs for how much mother whenever we could, because secretly we wish we could do that for a living. And I literally remember my first attempt at that song, the composers that we worked with on, on how much mother were like, this is too close. You have to change some more of the melody. You have to change some more of the music because this is going to get you sued. And I was like, but it's an homage. And they're like, no, no, no. An homage still needs to be more different than this. So we, we, yeah, we, I mean, I just, I was a kid when I watched, I think Cheers, I think Cheers went 11 seasons. It really spanned my kind of, you know, late childhood till I think it ended the May before I went to college. So in, in a way it kind of, you know, carried me from childhood into a quasi adulthood, whatever you call 18, uh, Whatever. I'm still a quasi adult, I think, essentially. Yeah. But I mean, it was it was so meaningful to me. And and that, you know, I'll, just to deep dive to keep with the, your, your theme of kind of actually really diving into stuff. What I realized, even as it was happening, is the cheers, the joy that show brought me and the way that it, could, it had deeper emotional content. Cheers could make you cry. Um, at times, and they really went some interesting places. It was very serialized. It wasn't one episode, and then the next week, it's like amnesia. Like nothing ever happened, yeah. 
Right. Nothing ever, nothing ever aggregately kind of amounts to meaning. No, Cheers, Cheers was a little bit of a soap opera with these arcs and a huge main character leaving along the run. And it was very emotional and, and creating kind of a new story arc after she left. And what I ended up realizing and definitely made me want to do this for a living is that the escape into the emotions of that world at that time in my life got me through some hard for lack of a better term, like my parents got divorced sort of right at the beginning of high school. And Cheers was like this little, uh, this little life raft kind of carrying me through like these really dark times. And I think, you know, every now and again, I'm lucky enough to hear from How I Met Your Mother fans where they, they'll tell me something like that, that How I Met Your Mother meant, meant something like that to them at some hard moment. And I swear it is the, my favorite thing to hear because that's what I wanted it to be because I had that. And so that Cheers was really that for me. Um, and and in, in terms of movies, again, it was like the early days of like HBO, right? Because I was a kid in the 80s and I would I would tape these movies off of HBO on like VHS tapes, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would tape like these way too grown up movies when I was like a young kid. Movies with this deeper emotional content, like one of my favorite, again, I think I just love the blend of real emotion and comedy and so the original Arthur, the one with Dudley Moore, and I think it's from the I, better one. Yes, I, well, to, you know, yeah, I, I sort of pretend it's the only one because it's uh, it's it's such a classic. But, uh, well, uh, what about Ar- what about Arthur two? I think one of the worst sequels as compared to the original. As I remember, <laughs> I, I just I think I watched it once and it was like, no, I'm going to pretend that doesn't exist. The remake, I pretend doesn't. Nothing needed to exist except that first one, which is just, just such a gem. But again, it's it's a you know. As with Cheers, there's kind of a little bit of sadness built into the comedy, right? Like the premise of Cheers, it's it's a, an ex-alcoholic baseball player who opens a bar. And Sam Malone, that character, he's he's drinking club soda behind the bar through the entire run of Cheers because he's this faded athlete who had a problem with alcoholism. And there's like, it's not like there's very special episodes about that all the time. It's just in the air. There's something in the air that's a little bit real, a little bit heavier, and Arthur is about this, you know, this guy who's incredibly rich. He's a hundred millionaire. He inherited it all. And he's lost and unhappy despite that. And he drinks too much and he hasn't found love. And I just, I think that tone of, uh, that tone of comedy and emotion really was a, you asked me about my influences. I mean, huge influence on, on how much mother I'd even go so far as to say that the character of Arthur, that kind of super rich playboy kind of spinning his way like a tornado through New York City in his Next Barney. It's really influenced Barney. I've really thought about that. A lot. Yeah. I don't I don't think we consciously said let's do that, but I think again, you like the word influence, like you don't always even know what your influences are until till later. And so I'd say if I had to choose like a movie from the 80s and a TV show from the 80s, really my childhood, those those would be the two. Yeah, I'm just starting to discover what my influences are now, you know, because as a kid, you don't really think about that. Yeah, it's just there, right? It's just like the wallpaper. It's like you feel like these things just exist. I think that's what's so interesting about about art and then eventually realizing you want to make art. You, You start to realize that someone wrote that. Someone had to have that idea. Someone made those choices for a reason. And that's that's so interesting. And then you, to look back and realize like, oh, these were the little things that were making you you along the way. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, Garrett Child of the 80s, of course, the Muppets must have inspired you at least a little bit. <clears throat> oh, my God. Huge time. Huge time. I mean, what you've you, you've you've picked such a perfect thing because if you ask me what's the earliest thing I can remember being excited about on TV, it was that show. It was like that would air on Sunday nights. Yeah. I Someone should fact check me on this. I, rem- I feel like it might have aired at like 7.30 instead of 8.00. Well, it, it depends on where you were. But I think in New York it was. I was, grew up on the East Coast, and my memory is that like maybe my bedtime as a little kid, because it was – that was airing in the late 70s, that show. So I think I was really young when that was like actually on the air. And I remember this feeling of like staying up on Sunday night. I had like a bath and I watched The Muppet Show. It was just the greatest. I mean, it, it, like silly but smart and, and very much deconstructing showbiz. Like they, they were really kind of breaking the fourth wall and showing you this show about a show. Doing all of these sophisticated jokes, you know, that were over my head at the, at the time. I was like four watching it. But I've, I've gone back and rewatched them with my kids. Uh, and
and it's so great to go back. By the way, way too hard to find them. As I recall, maybe, maybe they're now on a streamer, but like a few, no, they're not. A few years. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Someone's got to get on that. It's music, right? It's, is it? Okay. Cause you also, I also remember trying to find all the albums and all the music on iTunes years ago for my son, who's now 12 when he was very young. And I could not believe, I could not shut up about it at the time. I would just, anyone I would see, you do you realize how hard it is to find Muppet stuff? I like, I'm so irate about yeah, it. <laughs> I, it took me so long that I had to go borrow stuff from libraries and get them on my computer. Yeah. That's how I had to buy, I had to buy a physical CD. When my son was like young, I had to like buy on like eBay or something like a, an unopened CD <laughs> from like the 1990s uh, of like all the greatest classics, like all the songs you want from the various Muppet movies. And it was like, I could not believe. And I, I feel like it's still maybe that way. No, but it was it was huge. And one of my greatest memories of like TV in my childhood is when Mark Hamill hosted The Muppet Show and they were doing yeah. Star Wars bits with The Muppets. It was like one of those, like my, my four-year-old brain couldn't even handle it. It was like my head was exploding. I was like, I can't handle this much joy all at once. It can't be possible that Star Wars and the Muppets have come together for this half hour of magic. Life, life's only going to be downhill from here. Yeah. And it was one of those. And like, I, I still feel that way. Like I, I literally watched that episode with my kids. Like, cause again, I bought the DVDs like through some weird thing. They're, they're hard to find. And I, I, we watched that one a couple weeks ago. Uh, my daughter's three and my son's 12 and you know, they both liked it equally. And I liked it. Like if I, like I was four years old all over again, it was, it's just, it's very joyful. It reminds you of the joy of, of what made you at the earliest time want to be part of making something like that. Now I think we should do a separate episode just about Muppet because <laughs> it's we the best. can go on. But you know, the Muppet and how I met your mother kind of a parallel because if you think about the Muppet nobody is good at what they do <laughs> that's a good observation like if you really think about it like like Barry Bear is a, like a he's a terrible terrible stand-up comedian gets booed and heckled yeah they literally have two characters on the Muppet show heckling the entire show i mean that was what a great idea like literally like it was two two characters jobs up in the, the balcony to just hate on the show as the show is happening I mean, what it's, it's so genius and it's true it's it's the comedy of uh yeah like you, you know what's terrible when, when you're when you're developing comedies for like network tv and like you know, th there's a lot of like testing that happens. The episodes are screened when, you know, do, do people like them? Do the dials go up for focus groups watching episodes of TV? And because you know that's going to happen when you're developing the show before you shoot the pilot, there's a lot of talk about likability of the characters, right? And so there's a lot of like this fake science when you're talking to the executives at the studio and the network. There's a lot of focus and worry and, and attempts to kind of pre-guess as to whether characters will be likable to an audience. And there's nothing less funny than trying to think about how likable someone will be. Because like what it leads to is like, well, we need to know that they're good at their job. Or, you know, we need to see them be good at something. We need to see them do this super great, nice thing and be really good at their job and be nice to this person and you're like, no, since when was any of the one, when was that the basis of comedy? I don't like everyone being a in a comedy either. I think it, it is important. I don't like the comedy of like hate and mockery and deriding things. I don't, that's never been my kind of jam. No. For, but I still think like. And I feel like that's most, that's most comedy nowadays. I know, I know. And I really, I really don't like that. Even a show like Cheers, like they'd make fun of each other, but there was some sense of like. We're in it together. They're kind of a weird, dysfunctional family. And I don't know. I don't know what that <laughs> line is where you feel the like. Closest, the closest thing you'll get on your show is um, Robin and Patrice. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about that the other day. What a weird joke that was. Robin just eats this one super nice person. <laughs> it's so funny. It's such a weird. That was, I, it's so funny. I was just thinking about the, just that entire bit like the other day. Um, that it was just, there's nothing to hate about this woman. But she's for some just reason, doing good for everybody. Like, I know. She couldn't be yeah. sweeter. She couldn't be sweeter. But it's almost like a play on that concept of, like, the likable character. Like, if someone's too likable, you hate them. You want people to be people. You want people to be human. I think that's right. That was Robin's beef with her. Like, no one's this perfect. Uh, and that, you know, it's it's part of creating comedy is people's flaws. And, like, you think about those things that spoke to you as a kid, like, 
you weren't watching the Muppets thinking, I want to see them be good at their job. I want to see this show go smoothly. They had everyone suck at most of what they did. Kermit is like this beleaguered kind of <laughs> producer manager watching this madhouse happen backstage. Yeah. There's two guys in the balcony uh, telling them they all suck. And it's hilarious. I mean, like there's even an episode that I just thought of with Peter Sellers. Oh, yeah. in, the co- in the cold open, he's, like, having an existential crisis. Like, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It really did some heavy things uh, for this kid show. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. Well, when you, when you have a pilot that's called Sex and Violence, that's literally what the Muppet Show pilot was called. Are you serious? I didn't even know that. That's crazy. What an amazing detail. That says it all. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's genius. It's a genius show. I, for also just to hit pause for one second, I love your, your deep, deep knowledge of the Muppet show is I'm appreciating that very much right now. I just need to send you that, send you that, send you some props about that because my kids have loved it again. Why is it so hard to find? But we have all these, we have DVD sets and we just watch them and I, I, it holds up. I love it. what do you think of the new ABC show? I, I hate to say it, I couldn't. I couldn't really watch it. I couldn't really get into it. Um, yeah, I, I tried. For, I tried for the brand. I really I know, did. I know. I want the brand to sustain. I want. I want my kids to to feel like it's relevant and they know it. And and some of those newer movies were, were enjoyable. It's just tough. It's tough because it's such a gem from my childhood. And I think you know. I think I'm part of the problem there, where I. Couldn't quite get my arms around the new version. It, it is hard to recapture that. I hope. I hope it. Someone does. I, I feel like it's doable. I felt a couple of the newer movies were good, and I, I still hold out hope. Well, I mean, you know, one of your one of your uh, stars is in one of them. Yeah, and and wrote it, and I thought that was really good. And I thought the songs were good. I really enjoyed that. I, I was. I I think he pulled off something really hard and and tapped into some of the kind of the the emotions. About, and I I thought what was so smart about how Jason did that. He again he wrote it was that idea of kind of owning the idea of the Muppets as this sort of defunct and floundering kind of brand. Kind of owning the fact that the Muppets felt a little lost. And that that as the starting point for that movie was like such a smart, self aware place to start which is what is great about the Muppets. That was really a show about show business in some ways and the, and the types of people who make show business and the weird little families that get created trying to make show business. I mean, it, it's like what made the Larry Sanders show as great as it was. Like this oh, weird yeah. dysfunctional family trying to somehow come together to put on a show that day. The show must go on. And the pressure of that calls out everyone's flaws and foibles and insecurities. And like, I mean, it's really one of the great shows about a show is the Muppet show and the Larry Sanders show. And the mechanism, the emotional mechanism of them is both kind of the same, like peeling back, peeling back the curtain and and showing you this dysfunction underneath. And uh, I thought Jason's take on the new Muppet movie, it's not that new anymore. It's, it's, it's a minute ago already, but I thought that was really smart as a starting point. I sort sort of knew that movie was going to work once I heard his kind of starting place of it. I thought it was really smart to own own that. I love, I love how we went on a tangent, but I don't care. You went like, on a tangent, was... but it also came back to Jason Siegel and tied it back to How I Met Your Mother. And it's uh, I think that, I think that was a good little uh, a little serendipitous uh, circle back we just did. So. That's awesome there. So let's let's talk about you know from writing the show, writing the pilot of How I Met Your Mother to when it aired. How long did it take? Good question. Uh, so we, Carter and I were writing on the show American Dad, Seth MacFarlane show. We, we were mm-hmm. helping to launch that first season, so it didn't exist yet. And we were, we were writing that. And we, we were on sort of the first 19 or 20, maybe 19, 20 episodes of like a 22, 24 episodes. So we were on most of season one. Uh, but somewhere along that way, we, we had sort of a, a very low grade, uh, development deal at the studio. We, we'd written on a couple of 20th century Fox shows and signed a deal to work on their shows and write, you know, write pilots for them. And this was how much your mother was really our first shot at really writing a, a pilot. We wrote two different pilots that year. One of them was how much mother, one of them was something that didn't go anywhere. And I, I'd say that we, you know, you sort of spend the fall the TV season, you spend like the fall months kind of like coming up with the pitch, like late summer, early fall, we came up with the idea and the characters and just, it was a verbal pitch that we sort of went around to, to networks and CBS bought it and said, we like this enough 
to, to have you guys write a script. And then you kind of spend the fall into the winter writing the script, turn it in maybe at the new year, Christmas break or something. And by, you know, you, you get some back and forths about your, the notes and, and you know, what, what the network wants to see more of and less of you do a few drafts along the way. I think maybe by late January, early February is when you learn if you get to make this thing. We assumed we were so young, you know, we're like 29, I think. And we, and it was kind of our first attempt writing a pilot. We had, we had written for Dave Letterman for four and a half years in New York. And now we'd been a, a couple of years out in LA on a couple of different shows. And we assumed it wasn't going to happen. You know, I mean, you, it's, it is statistically likely for your first pilot essentially to go nowhere and maybe the next 10. And so we were absolutely shocked when it got greenlit and picked up. And we were even, it was displacing and nerve wracking to leave American dad which was like got right about to launch. I think it, it was literally launching the weekend we found out, maybe we found out on like a Friday that we got greenlit for the How I Met Your Mother pilot. And we were flying out that night to Las Vegas for a like premiere party weekend uh, for American Dad, like Seth MacFarlane and the, a bunch of the staff of American Dad was all going to Vegas to sort of like party and celebrate and like watch the show air on Sunday night. It was this whole big thing. And we basically learned we were leaving American Dad right at that moment of the show premiering to go make the How I Met Your Mother pilot, which was just insane. So I remember being in Las Vegas, like partying for this show launch. But at the same time, our phones were blowing up because we were just greenlit and we had to start hiring a casting director and various other people. All of these things were starting to move. Like when you get greenlit on a Friday for a pilot, that means a bunch of other pilots also got greenlit that same day. And everyone's trying to find the same great three to five casting directors. We were 29 and didn't know any better. And we're in like Las Vegas and our, we're getting phone calls from the studio. Like, okay, so where are you guys on casting directors? And we're like, what are you talking about? We're drunk in Las Vegas with the American <laughs> dad staff. <laughs> it was just the weirdest. It was just, it was crazy how fast it started to move at that point. So that, that's sort of the progression. And then you start trying to make this pilot and you start trying to turn the script into a reality. And so that's from like maybe early February till, you know, I think we probably shot in April. I, forget, I really should remember the, the dates better than I do. But, you know, pilots shoot in March or April and then you edit them through April and, and you turn them in in later April. And then you find out in early May or a week or two into May whether you got on the air. And so that's sort of the, you know, so basically from late summer, the late summer before until the May where you find out if you get to be on TV is that that was the duration of of that pilot. And obviously, do you think it would have happened that quick if it were now? Like, what do you think the process would have been now? I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's only gotten harder and harder and harder to uh, to get a pilot made and, and get it on the air and then, and get it to last and work across seasons. Like the, it was long shot odds in 2005 and now here we're in 2019 and, uh, it's, it's gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. The chances of that happening. Uh, it's really humbling to think about in that way. Cause at the time in 2005 among comedy writers, the feeling was like, ah, we missed it. We missed the booming 1990s where there were so many more, you know, there was triple the number of sitcoms on the air and everything could get in, into syndication and there was all kinds of money and much better chances. And that's so not true in retrospect because now people really feel like, oh, if only we're 2005 again, yeah. we could get a show like How Much Your Mother to Work. It's just so funny how it's, it's like a radioactive isotope sort of decaying in these half-lives. <laughs> like the, I'm, try, the, I'm trying to think, why can The Office on around that same time too? It was. It was. I think it had premiered a little bit a year or two before us. I think they were already in it a year or so. I, I, I should remember when that premiered. It was before us. And then I went off the air a little bit before us, too, I think. Um, but, yeah, it was around that time. And, like, now you look at that show, The Office and How Much Mother, Big Bang Theory and, and, and that stuff. It's, it, even these, these shows are starting to feel harder and harder to imagine it happening in that way too many more times because everything's gotten so fractured. It doesn't feel so, like it ended that long ago either. How I Met Your Mother. Uh, it's it's five years and it's believe me that blows my mind. It doesn't it doesn't feel that long. It feels like a blur of of five years and yeah, it's it's crazy to me. 
but we got really, really lucky. And I, I try to have that perspective and be grateful for that. It was always hard and it's only gotten harder to pull that off. And thanks to streaming, everyone can see it now. We're really lucky. There's a lot of ways to, to see How I Met Your Mother. It's the exact opposite of The Muppet Show. You can't escape How I Met Your Mother. The Muppet Show, way too hard to find. <laughs> that is, that's a quote. <laughs> I didn't think we'd get to talk about The Muppet Show this much. It's really pleasing me. Thank you for that. It's a gift. I, and I was worried about it. I was like, am I talking about it too much? Oh, no, forget it. I, 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 watched, I watched some Muppet shows like two weeks ago with my kids. Like, it's the best. And it's, I mean, it's interesting to think about like that. It, it is like a little family and you, you somehow feel that they all love each other enough to, they absolutely make fun of each other, but somehow it doesn't feel like it's only that. And I feel like what a mysterious, hard little target to hit where, where something can feel like it's kind of only at its core. It has a little bit of a black heart. You know, people are, are too mean to each other versus people can be safely mean to each other because you believe that they love and, and need each other. And it's such a, it's such a hard mark to hit. And I think it is a fine line in a weird way between those two things. And that's such an interesting uh, question to me. Why, why, when something crosses that line or not, or, or, you know, you don't want to be too sweet and soft and saccharine either. And that's maybe the great achievement of a show like the Muppet show where it's uh it's hard funny a lot of the time, you know, it's, yeah. it's puppets. It's these, these cutesy little puppets, but they're often doing these really subversive, insane things. And it's sort of genius when you think about it. Speaking of kids shows, let's talk about space teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that fun? Here, here it is. Like the, it all comes back to the Muppet show. It's really like we, we had a, you know, we needed to create a fake, kind of kidsy show with a robot character <laughs> and the idea of Robin's Robin sparkles and this whole crazy backstory of showbiz. Now, before we get into that show, can, for those who haven't seen it, how dare you, can you shut up Robin sparkles? I, I love you, Bob, for saying, how dare you? Yes. Yell at your audience. If they haven't seen how much mother I'm, I'm fully on board with this. Uh, no, I, I, so yeah, so we love this idea and, and it, it probably does come from our love of like shows about shows like Sanders and different things. The idea that, that our character Robin played by Kobe Smulders had this weird secret past where she was a, a, a kind of minor celebrity in Canada. The first thing we found out is that she was a pop star that had ridiculous songs like Let's Go to the Mall and Sandcastles in the Sand. And then we kind of we, we let the audience and the other characters think that was kind of it. And then we sort of backed it up even further and revealed that she, in fact, had also been on this ridiculous kids show in Canada called Space Teens. And that's where the robot came from. There's a robot referenced and, and seen in the video for Let's Go to the Mall that, that is uh, super 80s, even though it was in 93, uh, <laughs> <laughs> ostensibly on the show. because the That's 80s my favorite kind of thing ever. <laughs> I love that so much. It's one of my favorite jokes. It's the, yeah, the 80s didn't come to Canada till like 93, which we absolutely made up. I don't even, I don't think it was pitched. We, we did have Canadian, a Canadian writer uh, during the show, this guy, Chuck Tatham, who's hilarious, who became sort of our resident um, Canadian joke expert. But he wasn't with us yet when we did that. We just sort of made that up. I don't know that we had a Canadian writer at that point. And uh, then I would run into Canadians as the show aired and they would say like, oh, my God, you got that so right that, you know, the, <laughs> the 80s sort of hit Canada late and extended deep into the 90s. Like what America thinks of as the 80s kind of echoed further <laughs> into the 90s in Canada. And we were like, we just kind of made that up. I don't, it wasn't, that wasn't like we knew that. But, yeah, people, Canadians like that joke, which I took as a huge compliment uh, or just luck. So yeah, we, anyway, that was, that was the idea. We love the idea. I mean, that, that's something that's great that can only be done in series television. Don't you think where you, or like Harry Potter or something where you, you're with these characters for so many years where you can just kind of keep peeling back layers yeah. and finding out more and more about characters. And, but also call back, also call back like existing things that we know and adding another part of it, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you, uh, you can only do that when you have the time over years to do that. And we, we put a robot in the video for let's go to the mall in you know, season two of how I met your mother, just cause we want it to be super eighties and there's like a bad rap and the robot even sings a line in the song. It's ridiculous. And it's only because we put that robot in that video in season two years and years later, we had the idea like, wait a second, 
what if that robot was like her sidekick on a on a, a kids show that she was on that Alan Thicke was on, and that's why Alan Thicke was also in the video for Sandcastles in the Sand. And like, it's it's so great to sort of like get to collaborate with past yourself later. You know, you kind of realize like, oh, I can yes and that idea that past us came up with five years ago, and kind of dig into why that was the way it was, and and create a whole new idea out of something that you already had done that aired. I mean, that's, that's such a cool, that's a cool feeling to kind of get to collaborate with past you in a way. I loved, I love that episode. I wish I love those episodes. I watch, I watch all of them back to back. Like I, I love that. Watched. I, I even, I even watched the one where Robin was in her grunge phase. Like uh-huh. I, I want, I watch all of that. I love that. In order. Yeah. I love it. Uh, it's, it is. It's it's its own little mini kind of suite, isn't it? Of the <laughs> like the, the, those all go together in a way. Um, I kind of want to go back and watch all of those together too. I, I love that idea. I feel like one of these days, like if you're ever around, we should just watch stuff. Yeah, do like a we could we could do a podcast of, of watching episodes. I, I was Carter and I always talk about that. Like it's you know two hundred eight episodes across nine years. We're like it would be interesting to just go back and watch some of these for the first time in years and just talk about all the memories of the writing and making of that. Like just for twenty two minutes, just stream of consciousness and like do do a couple of those and record them because we it's really interesting. I haven't watched a lot of these things in years. It's crazy. Um, and sometimes I forget stuff we did. And it's really, it, it's weird to go, it would be kind of interesting to go back and, and really try to recollect everything that led to every idea in a given episode. Because sometimes I forget what led to what. Like, it's really that there was a robot in that video that led to that whole idea of space teens, I think, you know, six years later <laughs> or whatever. It's just, it's cool to think about that, how you, you, it's the mystery of creativity, I think, right? Like you just, how does one thing, how do you, how does one thing lead to another? But it's, it's cool when it happens. It's kind of a, a magic process that you can't, you really can't replicate in any other format in that way. Like it's nine seasons that all kind of comment on each other. What, what a gift to get to do that. One thing I'll never forget is when Boys to Men came on. Again, that was, that was insane. Like there's times I forget that, that, that stuff like that happened. Like every now and again, I'll remember that or it'll pop up. Like my son will be surfing around his iPod and like boys to men will come on singing, you know, this insane song about slapping people. And I just go, Oh my God, that happened. That's right. I was in a studio recording that with boys to men. (laughs) And it's just such a weird thing. Like if a boy, if I'm out somewhere and boys to men comes on, like in a supermarket or whatever, you're just driving around or something. I'm like, Oh, that's right. I worked with them. And it's, uh, you have like this weird nostalgic feeling. It's bizarre. You feel like it was a dream or something. Like it was like, I can't believe that happened. And you realize again, like it's the gift of being on TV long enough where people kind of heard of the show. They know it's a thing and they go, yeah, like you, you could never do that in season one. You know, you can never like when you're an unproven show, call up boys to men and be like, you want to come sing a cover song about, about getting slapped. Be like, who How did that come about? <laughs> the the boys to men part or the the slap yeah, yeah. of it all. Well, well, you could just do like a two parter. I just wonder how the boys to men thing happened. <laughs> I think it was just like, I, I think it was that thing of like, well, how do we find the twist on what we've already done? That that's such a big that's such a big question. Uh, like that we asked ourselves all the time in a lot of categories. And the idea of the idea of boys to men coming in and singing like their version of a cover of that song, I just somehow that really tickled us. And we're like, we never would have done that years ago. We have to try to get them. We have to at least ask. And you just, that's a great thing. You just never know until you ask and you, you can talk yourself out of it ahead of time. Like they don't want to come do that. That's stupid. And they, they just thought it was funny and cool. And they came and did it. Uh, yeah, yeah, they came on, they knew what it was, and, like, they leaned into it, and they, they knew to just, like, to make something funny, you just got to treat it like you're trying to make it great and uh, commit to it 100%, and they they did, and it was just very cool. I mean, it was to us, it was always, like, and it's a cool challenge, but also, like, a danger when you're on TV a lot of seasons. You start realizing, like, 
we've done a lot of Thanksgiving episodes now. We've done a lot of Christmas episodes. We've done a lot of episodes sort of through the seasons, you know, like the, I mean, literal, like here's a, here's an episode that's set in the fall. Here's one where it's like a big blizzard and you start to have this, you start to fear, are we just repeating ourselves? So I think in the later part of a long run on TV, anything that feels new, you're just very excited by that. And you want to at least you're, you're up for the challenge of trying to find that twist on stuff. And you want to call things back, but not just like you're trotting out, like you're a cover band of your own thing that you can, you did four years ago. Yeah. You want to find the way that it feels new again. And I, I like to think that, that we, we found that sometimes where it's like, some some years we wouldn't do a Christmas episode some seasons or we wouldn't do a Valentine's Day episode, whatever. We, we'd go like, unless we can come up with like a great new way to do this or something that is a logical progression and like a series of ideas, we, we just won't do it because like it's just going to feel like other things we did. And we, we, we really wanted to avoid that as much as we could. And it's, it's, a re- it's really hard over time to not repeat yourself. I mean, I like I just love... Because at that point, for some reason, I had this weird obsession with boys to men. So it just happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they're, they're doing this for me. I love that. You, that's the thing. You never know what's going to speak to somebody at what moment and for what reason. Like, that's that's amazing that that hit you at, <laughs> at a real boys to men moment for you. I mean, it was it tripped me out because I was, you know, I was a teenager when they when they hit. And so I was like high school watching like the video for like Motown Philly play a thousand times a day on MTV. And it's just one of, you know, there's just those moments where you're like, if only, you know, 15 year old me could know that I would be in a recording, a professional recording studio. And these guys are going to sing us or sing a song about getting slapped and like really leaning into it and giving it their all and doing their boys to men thing on that song. Like, I mean, it was it, it was very, it was very cool, but also felt like, uh, almost surreal. Like it was hard to process at the time. <laughs> I got to go back and watch it again to, to believe that it really happened. Yeah. I mean, it was legendary. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, okay. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> I like it. It was an appropriate usage. They, they, they are literally legendary and they were, they, they that was the weirdest thing about, um, that's a strange thing is to, is to meet people that you remember being a teenager and watching them be famous. And then not, you know, 10, 15 years later, you're working with them. It's, it's a very strange, it's a strange feeling. It's, it's very cool. It can be hard sometimes because sometimes people aren't who you think, who, who you hope they would be. Boys to men were super cool. I'm not saying anything about them at all, <laughs> but, uh, it's always nice when you, when you have those moments and it holds up and you, you can still continue to like those people. <laughs> you can just, the people you thought were famous and cool, you meet them in your life and they're cool. It doesn't always go that way. And it's lovely when it goes that way. So totally switching topics to more of a serious tone. Um, what episode mean, means the most to you? <sighs> well, you know, I mean, it's a tough question because a lot mean a lot to me and for different reasons. I, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to just say the first thing that came into my mind when you said that, because I maybe that's what's true today. That's just what's true for this moment. Um, during the run of how I met your mother between year two and three. So pretty, pretty early, uh, my son Elliot was born and he was born and had health and developmental problems. Um, and he had a rare genetic syndrome that he, he's missing a little piece of one of his 11th chromosomes. It's called Jacobson syndrome. And he needed open heart surgery right away. He weighed like three and a half pounds. And he was, you know, he was going to have lifelong health and developmental issues, which he does. He's 12 now. He's doing great. At the time, he was, he was really in a life or death um, surgery and, and then recuperation. He was in the hospital for six weeks and he's grown up with all of these different challenges, even though he's also doing great and he's, he's social and musical and sweet and funny, but he also learns differently than other kids and does have health issues. Um, but so I was, so that's, I don't, I'm not saying this to bum everyone out, but I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going somewhere with this. When we were writing the show past that point, I, I felt like I wanted to write in some way about it, but I knew I didn't want to literally put that on the show. It's it's a very intense topic, and I'm actually writing a writing and hoping to make a movie about that topic now after How Much Mother. But 
it's nice as an artist and a writer to find some way to, to put, you know, some of that experience or some of that pain or some of that emotion into what you're doing. And I, I love that there, there were moments and ways to do that. What I'm thinking of specifically is that, you know, a couple years after, after that, Elliot was doing well and, and, you know, was, was growing up and becoming a, to- a toddler. And I knew, I always knew I wanted to write something about the kind of the pain of, of something going unexpectedly in life, right? When you're, that's part of growing up, right? How much mother in a way is, we always thought of it as like your second adolescence, that kind of late twenties into your thirties is kind of like this whole other stage of growing up and, and experiencing loss and heartbreak and, and the, the complexity of life. And so I always felt like, the, the stuff where Marshall lost his dad was those couple of episodes were in some way my way of writing about pain and loss and, and things, you know, all of a sudden yeah. something you didn't feel ready for, something that, that was a huge curveball in life and forced you to, to go through pain and to grow up and, and accept that life isn't always going to go the way you want. And I, so I always felt those, those couple of episodes about Marshall losing his dad meant a lot to me because they, it was a way to sort of write about that. I remember having a lot of emotion at the time that we were doing those episodes and feeling really lucky to have that outlet for, for, for that pain and for that emotion, even though it wasn't literally what I, what, what I was going through. It was, it was in some way about that. And I, and also a couple of, a couple of the writers had lost parents during the, the how much mother and, and my wife had lost her mother very young before how I met your mother. Uh, in her middle, mid twenties, um, my wife's mother passed away in her mid fifties. And so I'd seen and gone through something like that with her. And I just, I felt it was very, very meaningful to me. Those getting to write that, that sort of sequence on, on how much your mother of, of watching characters go through that and watching the friends of the person who's experienced the loss go through that with that person. And, so yeah, I'd say those those ones were extra meaningful to me for all of those reasons. Yeah, and I back to your son. I feel like in a roundabout way, he's how we met, sort of, because you had posted a tweet about him in school or something, and I said, "Well, I have disabilities too, and I'd be willing to talk to you or something like that." So I, yeah. Absolutely. That is that that is 100 percent how we met. And it's it's the reason a a lot of really cool things have happened in my life, actually. And it's the reason I've met a lot of amazing people I never would have otherwise. And uh, I think it has added a a depth to my experience of life that is really that that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And uh, even though it's been hard. So yeah, you know, I'm the parent of a kid with a disability and, you know, it means a lot to see, to see what you're doing, Bob, like honestly putting, putting a show together and and doing what you do. It's like, it's very inspiring to see an adult who's been through that and has had disabilities and things to overcome still out there. You're out there expressing yourself and doing your thing. It's good for me as a parent of, of my son to see that. So I send you an appreciation for doing that and it's totally how we met and I, I it's not lost on me. I just try to produce something that I would have I would have enjoyed listening to. You know, it's not like Absolutely. I had like a ridiculously hard life. Like I'm not in hospitals. But when you know, you can't play outside most times and you're like, so what do you do? You watch T V, you listen yeah. to music, you watch movies and I want to talk to the people behind some of my favorite things. Yeah. And that was the genesis of this. And um, I also want to spread some disability awareness in there, too. Absolutely. And yeah. And that. So it's a hybrid of it all. I think that's so important. I think it's something that people don't don't think about all the time. And yet, if you if you take aggregately everyone in America that has some type of a disability, it's like kind of the, lar- I think it's the largest, you know, minority, the largest group in America because so many people's lives are touched in some way by that or have a loved one or, or they themselves ha- have some challenge to overcome. And it's not always something we see reflected back in pop culture. And I think it's really great to, to see that. And it's, it's important for parents of kids like that to see adults that are out there 
living their life and overcoming those challenges to still be who they are and hear those kind of stories. I think it's really, really valuable. So I appreciate that about, about your show. And I love that, that, you know, at the same time, you're also just someone who, who loves pop culture and loves music, love TV and loves movies. And it's like your show, you'll talk about your disability on your show, but you also just do your show and it's both. And I think that's, that's really valuable too. Yeah, because honestly, I listen to other disability podcasts and when it's too much about it, it seems like a sob story. <laughs> right. And I, I, I think that's, yeah, like a lot of what we see in pop culture is like, it's supposed to be any, it's supposed, if it's about disability, it's often just about that. And it's supposed to always be inspiring <laughs> and always have one certain kind of tone and like, or, or be like really sentimental. And there's something nice about like just the tone of like, it's part of life. It's part of who people are. And they yeah. also have other, a lot of other things about them too. <laughs> and that's sort of a nice thing. I actually think that's, that's really hard at first for parents of kids with a disability to realize like your kid is talked about so much as their problems by doctors, by therapists, right? They're reduced to blank kind of kid a kid with this disability, a kid with this syndrome, a kid with this problem. Yeah. And it, it's really hard, especially when a kid's a baby and you don't really, you know, they're not themselves yet. They're this little thing. You sort of start to feel like they're being branded as their, their, yeah. their disability. And I, yeah. One of the things that kind of, kind of rubs me the wrong way about when people talk to me, not you, thank God, but when people tell me, like, you're such an inspiration, it's like, thanks, but what did I do? (laughs) I know know what you mean, because, like, I, you know, it's a nice thing to hear, and I think it is inspiring that you do your own show, and you do, you're, you're being, you're being, you're being you, uh, despite extra challenges that some other people don't have. And that is inspiring. But I know that I, it's that idea that you're supposed to check that box for people. Like you, you're supposed to be this inspirational thing and not everyone feels that way all the time. And that's something we always, I always felt was strange too, about, um, becoming the parent of a child with a disability where people, some, some people would say to, 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 to my wife and I, like, you know, God only gives you what you can handle. Like you've been, you've been chosen, because the, you're strong enough to, to do this and it's so inspiring yeah. and stuff. And you're like, it's actually just really hard. We're not very religious people. And the idea that you're, you've been chosen for this because you can handle it, there's strange logic at work there. <laughs> and it's not always the most helpful thing to hear, especially if you maybe don't believe all the same things that certain people do that might say that to you. And it's, I, I so I, I have some sense of what you mean, even though I don't know exactly what you mean, that it's sort of, it could kind of, kind of rub you the wrong way. Because it's like, I'm just doing what I do. I'm not doing anything different. Right. right. You're, you're being you. You're not trying to be some inspiring version of you that can kind of conveniently fit into <laughs> someone else's yeah. narrative of what they hope is true. Of but just, when I, when I have to be, I do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. It's like people are trying to be nice. I mean, all of these things that people say to you, or I was just saying people would say to us as parents, like everyone's trying to be nice, but there's there, sometimes you just want to be human and not the strong or inspiring or a chosen person or someone who's extra special or whatever. Like you just want to be you, you just want to be you and take away all that other stuff. And just, you're a human being and, and mostly are like other human beings, yeah. <laughs> not some inspiring uh, movie of the week. Kind of like you're just, you're- I mean, I love, I don't want to be like a poster child, but if that happens to come across, I'm not going to, Take away the endorsement dealer. So. <laughs> no, take the money, Bob. Take the money. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a strange uh, thing to find. I mean, uh, you want people to want to see that and not hide from it. And you want people to talk about these things. But also, I, I think it's nice when we can talk about it in the sort of the fullness of the picture of someone's a human being. They're not their disability. There's a lot more to people than that one thing. And it's not always inspiring. It's not always great. It's, it's also not always sentimental and maudlin and terribly sad either. It's, 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 it's life. <laughs> it's the complexity of all of, all of that and more. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, Some level. so we're about to like wrap up, but I just want to ask you this. I'm so thankful that the How I Met Your Mother team didn't 
mock people with disabilities because I feel like most times we are the butt of the joke. And uh, how do you feel about how we're represented in media? I, you know, I, it's, I, I try to remember that before I became Elliot's dad, he's 12, right? So in my early 30s, all of a sudden I became a dad of a child that had disabilities and learning disabilities and cognitive disabilities specifically too. And, and even though he's doing great, he's, he's very high functioning. He's, he's an atypical learner and he has some strengths and where he's like really kind of on par with other kids and then some ways in which he's really not. And so he has all these different challenges and it's, it's a unique and rare syndrome but, you know, people make jokes in pop culture at the expense of people with disabilities. They do. And, and I think there's a lot of stigma, too, especially to kids that have learning disabilities, cognitive disabilities. And so I, I, I still, 12 years into being Elliot's dad, get incredibly angry and irate when people make tarred jokes and are, you know, people are throwing that word around any type of disability jokes, any type of thing diminishing people because of a disability it drives me out of my mind, and I, I wish I got less angry. I wish I could have a little bit more of a perspective on it. I'm probably a little less hot-headed about it now. I try to remind myself and humble myself by remembering that before I was Elliot's dad, I might have laughed at that joke. I might have made jokes that were insensitive. I think when people are in their 20s and 30s, when they're, when they're young and up-and-coming in comedy and, and making stuff – there's this idea of being dangerous and shock value. And I'll say the dangerous, raunchy, wrong thing. And that'll be funny. And I think that there's a lot of people that have that, that phase of their comedy career where they're a little more like that. And hopefully they kind of grow up and grow out of that. I find that it still seems pretty rampant in pop culture. More, more, I think there's a lot more awareness than when I was a kid and when I was even in my teens and 20s. But I'm still always shocked by just how often I'll see stuff on TV or in a movie that, that does that. And I just, I always wonder to myself, like, what is that? Why, why, why at any point does anyone, any of us, why, why do we think that's funny? And I think it's just some, some way of dealing with like difference and discomfort, discomfort of something being different. So we'll make fun of it because we don't understand it. It's so unfair. It's, it feels like racism to me. It feels like making fun of someone because of who they were, who they, who I they are. I feel like we're going, yeah. we're going backwards in some aspects as far as that goes. I know, because because there's, it's so easy for people to on the internet and in social media just lazily throw those terms around too. I, I feel like maybe there's a little less of it on like mainstream TV and movies, maybe. But I think the it's so rampant in how people communicate and insult each other and just throw terms around on social media and on the internet that it's that that part feels like it's it's gotten worse and it's very I feel like people tend to forget what the R word means like I agree they just use it yeah there's no context they just use it yeah I think so and I, I wish people could understand like that's that that word it exists as a way and came came to be an insult as a way of diminishing people that have a cognitive disability. And there those people that have that didn't ask for that. They have all kinds of extra challenges in life to begin with. The last thing that community needs is strangers using that term to mean stupid and dimwitted and yeah. to, to be mocked as like an like no, it's a disability. It's a challenge they have in their life and they're trying to overcome and work with that challenge in the best way that they can with a challenge they did not ask for. To make fun of someone and mock someone for that is terrible and unfair. And I think it is a lot, it's largely unconscious. I like to think that people, once that's explained to them, might decide like, oh, right, that's what that word is. I'm throwing it around to mean, because it's also like, there's other words. You can call something ridiculous, you know? Like, I, I just wish people would sort of take the one second it takes to think of another thing to say that doesn't take someone's diagnosis and disability and make little of Be smart about it. Yeah. Like, I just made a joke about being a poster child. For, like, when the person is making fun of themselves. Right. Yeah. And they're in on the joke, and that's, that's funny. I know. I think so, too. I think it's like that's self-deprecating, and you get to make that joke because, like, that's something coming from you, and that's your point of view, and you've earned that joke. And, like, other people, like, it's just, it does, it drives me crazy. I, I hate it. it. It makes me feel very sad when when I think of that as the father of a kid that, 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 that could get that, you know, insult thrown at them. 
I, I really, yeah, it hurts. So I can only imagine, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm sure you've, you've felt, you've struggled with that your whole life. People's, um, you know, like la- people are just ignorant. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Mm. It's lazy and ignorant. Yeah, it is. And they don't think about it. So I just, I just want to thank you so much for like speaking out about people like us and, you know, Oh, thank thank you for doing this show and and enabling me to to talk about it with you. I really I really appreciate it. Because um, we could have talked about how I met your mother this whole time, but I feel like you've gotten back so many times that it's like I just wanted to be real. I, I love that. It's so rare that I get to talk about that. And like like I said, I for like a minute I was like, because Marshall and Lily were kind of based on my wife and I. And I, I thought for a second, like, maybe we'll have their kid have a health problem or something. And I just realized that that wasn't really the story we'd set out to tell. And I kind of found these other ways to work in that emotion. Like I was saying, uh, there were the example of Marshall's dad, but there were other things along the way that I should think how I met your mother probably became a more emotional and deeper show by the fact that I had gone through this, all of the people working with me, Carter, my writing partner, Pam, our director, they all witnessed me go through this really, really hard thing. And I think it informed How I Met Your Mother and the writing and creation of that show in a good way. I think it actually gave it more depth, whether or not we literally talked about those issues. And now I, I've tried a few different times to try to find ways to write about some of that content uh, since How I Met Your Mother. And I'm, I, Carter and I have written this um, this this kind of indie feature musical, believe it or not, about the first six weeks of my son's life. It's not literally a biopic, but it's, it's sort of based on that. It's actually about a little girl, a couple of having a little baby girl that has actually the exact same condition as my son. And it has like music and magical realism. It's got, it's a drama, but it's kind of a dramedy. It has, it's like one of the most unique things we've ever written. It's one of my favorite things we've ever written. So we're trying to get that made right now. Um, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. We're making offers to actors. If we get the right actor, that uh, the right actor attached to it, that's a big enough name. Um, it will activate funding and we'll make that movie. It's called Molly and the moon. And it's really kind of my favorite thing I've ever been part of writing. And so that, that's very much, I mean, as you can tell already, just a little bit, I've said it's very, very, very much inspired by my son and very much about that, that topic. It's kind of set in the first six weeks of, uh, of that experience of becoming parents who could with special needs and differences. Um, and so that, that means a lot to get to tell that kind of story, but I so rarely get to talk about it. And that's, you know, that's a movie script that we haven't gotten to make and put in the world yet. So that's all a long way of saying, I appreciate, uh, getting to talk about some of those issues with you here today. It's nice. It's part of my life. So where can people find you? Like where can people connect with yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm on Twitter a lot, uh, way too obsessed with politics these days. So I'm on there too much. So you oh, find yeah. Me there. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm at, at Himyam Craig, H-I-M-Y-M-C-R-A-I-G on Twitter. So come find me there. And I, I, I always love talking to people about, uh, especially these kinds of issues, because I think it's, it can be really hard to find people to talk to about that stuff. And people feel unseen and unheard. And, uh, I, I always love getting to connect with people whose lives have been touched by some of these issues. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Perfect.